Man, this is Deion Dawkins, man. And you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Everybody, welcome back to the Scoop AlScoop.com's podcast. We are back from our Thanksgiving hiatus. I'm John DiCarlo, joined by Kyle Gauss, Dante Colonelli, and Sam Cohen. And we are recording much earlier this week because, as you know by now, Temple has fired head coach Rod Carey after three seasons. So, uh, happy coaching season, uh, happy coaching search season, guys. How's everybody feeling? And to you and yours. <laughs> and to you and yours, <laughs> holiday season. What if there was like a PA lottery commercial with Gus the Groundhog and he's just like buying tickets for, for coaching search season? <laughs> <laughs> Keep on scratching. I hate that thing. He doesn't wear pants, but he wears a shirt. Anyway. He's like Winnie the Pooh. Exactly. Not nearly as beloved. Mm. Right. Right. Dante, Sam, how are you guys feeling? Kyle and I are oh, used to this oh. by now. What a morning. Oh. Yeah, I went. I went to the grocery store. Came right back, and the tweet was there. Sam was, was perfect uh, timing. The second I got Sam and a sick brag was was at the gym. Dante was at Fresh Grocer. Not a not a sponsor of the scoop, but maybe they will be at some point. A little shout out to Fresh Grocer. I had just finished moving my bowels, so we were all doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'm a little surprised, right? I think we all kind of like viewed today as if it was going to happen. Probably be today. I did not think it'd be 9 a.m. Legitimately, I thought like, well, Temple's gonna like drag his feet on this, so we'll get like a afternoon news dump. But no, bright and early. Yep. Well, I was, uh, I, I had a feeling that Pete Thamel was gonna be the one to have it first. Um, yeah. And while, but while I was at the gym, I started thinking about how today would probably be the day, and that it would probably be Pete Thamel. And I was, you know, I took a second. I was like, I should probably turn on his tweet notifications. Like, it'll probably be him. Ten minutes later, he had it. Yeah. Did you did you uh, turn off his notifications after that? No, neither have I. I'm still getting like Feldman, Thamel, football scoop, all this stuff. I did the Crazy. same thing. I turned them all on last night. McMurphy too. So Pete Thamel, obviously part of the the Yahoo Sports family. Yeah, breaking the story. So again, Rod Carey goes 12 and 20 in his three seasons at Temple. Uh, so. The Inquirer, when when Rod Carey was hired back in 2019, had reported that Rod Carey signed a six-year contract. If that is indeed the case, then Temple's firing Rod Carey with three years left on his deal. Um, Temple just put out an announcement uh, saying that wide receivers coach Thad Ward will serve as Temple's interim head coach. Uh, he'll serve as Temple's interim head coach until Temple, of course, hires uh, Rod's replacement. So, Which at this point is just keeping the lights on. Like make yeah, like because uh, I mean things will matter by like the fifteenth, but until then it's just keep the lights on, make sure the kids that want to get in and work out are able to work out. Like, just yeah, there has to be a head coach. Yeah, and again, like just you know having you know covered this stuff before, um, you know, and, and and fans are are obviously and rightfully so focused on who's next, but you know the the administration goes into a mode now of making sure the student athletes are supported. This is happening right at a time when finals are coming up. Um, you know, there was already a lot of, you know, uh, I'm sure that I'm sure the players knew or thought that something like this might be coming. So it's happening during finals. Uh, so Thab Ward will be the interim head coach and making sure that, 
you know, uh, that the guys are supported during this time. And we're recording this right now. It's 10.09 a.m. And we're told that uh, uh, I guess that that team meeting is happening right now, now or in a couple of minutes yeah. within the within the hour. Um, so, again, um, you know, Temple season came to a close Saturday, 38-14 loss to Navy. Um, you know, obviously looking back, you know, Temple for maybe a, a week or so looked like Temple might have had a chance to turn around its season after that come from behind win over Memphis, but we know that didn't happen. Seven game losing streak uh, to close things out. And uh, you know, things were, were obviously ugly from there on out. So um, guys, uh, we talked about the fact that we, we thought this was coming, knew this was coming, but um, you know, things really haven't been the same for Rod Carey since that first season, they go eight and four, uh, get trounced by North Carolina in the, in the military bowl one and six last season, all the, all the transfer portal departures. And again, in that seven game losing streak this season, they were outscored by 299 to 59 in that span, uh, outscored by 98 to seven in the first quarter this season. Uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen temple football, this futile and this non-competitive really since the, since the Bobby Wallace days. So, um, I'll throw this question out to you guys first before we get to potential candidates. How much of a rebuild is this for the next head coach coming in? I think it's a rebuild. Um, I mean, I think if you're thinking that this is all of a sudden going to stem the tide, you know, there's going to be a plug in the transfer portal, I think you're being naive. Because, um, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit to the extent that for everybody on the roster that was maybe hoping for a coaching change, there was also people on the roster, players on the roster that were not hope, hoping for a coaching change. There were people that committed to Rod Carey, that Rod Carey is the only staff they've ever known. He's the reason they came from blah, blah, blah. Some of them, if you want to look at some bright spots from the season, like Darian Varner started to come on the second half of the season. He committed to Walter Stewart. He committed to Rod Carey. So I think there's still going to be plenty of turnover on this roster. Um, I think it's just kind of there needs to be an adjustment period. It was obviously it wasn't working and you kind of just had to rip the bandaid off. But I, I still think this is a pretty it's not a Al Golden coming in in 2006 situation, but it's it's probably a Matt Rule coming in in 2013 situation where you're probably going to have to really hope that the guy that comes in, identifies talent early, recruits his ass off, but still expect to take a, a lump or two for a little while in order to get things going. Dante, you handle our, our previews for us. You, you examine these guys. You 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 watch film. This is this is your thing. You love it. Um, you've looked at all three phases of the game very closely. What is left on on and all three phases of the game for the new head coach taking over? Kyle obviously touched on a few of the bright spots. What, if you're the if you're the next head coach coming in, what are, what are you seeing in terms of this rebuild? Yeah, I think you obviously are going to look at the defense of side of the ball. I think that's where you have the most talent. Um, yeah, I think you have to work on convincing some of the guys who committed to Rod Carey's staff to stay, right? You want to look at Keyshawn Paul. You want to look at Cameron Ruiz. Those are two starting caliber corners. You want to try and get them to stay after transferring from UConn and Northwestern. Uh, if you couldn't tell, I'm a little bit under the weather. My voice is a little scratchy, but um, right. it's authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm power. I'm powering through this week, but at you just lied and said you were up late, like watching film. I yeah, can that, sleep till four thirty. That's definitely breaking down the, the Dolphins game. Yeah, um, you know, I think you look at the safety room, right? You have Alex Odom, you have Jalen Ware. I thought those guys showed some things this year. Maybe try and convince MJ Griffin to come back if you're the new head coach. I think that would be a smart move. He's a starting caliber safety as well. Linebacker position, you like what you see from Kobe Wilson, Jordan McGee. I think those two guys are solid. 
Uh, I think on the defensive line, you're going to have to recruit your butt off. I agree with Kyle. Like someone like Darian Varner looks like he's, you know, he can flash and stretches. He's got some pass rush upside, decent run defender, um, but you don't really have much at the edge spots. I think you're going to be really like scraping together guys there. You're going to have to recruit your butt off there. I think the big problem is going to be the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, get it, you get DeWan Mathis back, and that's great. He's very clearly the best quarterback on this team. Uh, behind him, I don't think the early returns on Justin Lynch and Mariano Valenti have been particularly great. Both of them are NIU guys. They're guys who came over, you know, because of Rod Carey, right? Obviously, Lynch didn't play at NIU, but he has the connection from his brother with NIU. Does he stay? I don't know. Does it matter? Not really sure, honestly. On the offensive line, uh, you're going to lose CJ Perez. You're going to lose Michael Neese. You know, can some of these younger guys step up to Rod Carey hit on Jim two? Did he hit on Bryce Toman? Did he hit on those players? Wisdom Corshi? I, I don't know at the receiver position, you know, maybe you call Jaden blue. I, I, I would probably just from an experience factor as a temple guy, I'd like to see him come back. I think that would be wise for them, but I don't know if he does, you're losing Randall Jones. He's not coming back. So I think the biggest challenge for the next head coach, as far as what talent is on this roster is going to be the offense. I think that they are really missing key pieces i think they have some guys who have flashed but that running back room is very underwhelming the wide receiver room is losing its best player in randall jones and its second best player probably in Jaden blue you have jose barbone but you know jordan smith had problems with drops this year and fumbles you know how much do you rely on him ahmad anderson muffed like four punts in four weeks like you know there, there's a lot of problems saturday. on the offensive side of the ball yep muff two on saturday only one of them was recovered by navy but he muffed two of them so I don't know. I, I think the biggest part of this rebuild for the next head coach is going to be the offense. Cause I think you're just missing key fundamental pieces on that side of the ball, especially in the trenches. I, I don't have a lot of faith in the offensive line talent that they currently have. The only thing I'd add on to what Kyle and Dante were saying is John, just to answer your question about how much of a rebuild, I think it's really a matter of, I mean, Kyle mentioned like you have guys that came to temple because of rod with NIU connections. Um, the question is how many of those guys are they returning? I mean, Dante and Kyle both talked about like, there, there are flashes. There are, there is talent on this team. This team is the, the, the talent is probably more than a three win team. Um, but the question is like, how many of these guys are coming back? How much the, to better phrase this, John, to answer your question, how much turn, how much roster turnover is there? I think that'll play into how much, uh, how much of a rebuild it'll be for whoever the next coach is. Yeah. I think what, and before we move on to our, our next segment here, I think the most, one of the most interesting things is, waiting to see what a new coach can get out of the current players. Does a new coach coming in unlock, you know, some, some talent at the running back position and saying, okay, here's how we're going to utilize Ed Sadie. Here's how we're going to utilize Trey Blair, um, a new strength and conditioning staff. Are they going to be able to really unlock some potential, you know, for that offensive line, for the defensive line and saying, Hey, you know, I've noticed this, I've noticed that, you know, and, and guys like Sam Davis, Bryce Toman, Jim Tuobadegu, guys like that could really benefit. That's always the interesting thing to see is which guys can really benefit from a new coach coming in. Anybody's going to watch film. One of the, one of the very first things a new coach is going to do is to come in, address the team, watch film of every single guy on the roster and say, okay, this guy, I think they were using him wrong. We, we've really got something here. You, you have conversations with players as we've talked about before scholarships are one year renewable agreements and a new coach could come in and say, Hey, Love you. Love to have you here. But if if you ever want to start, it's probably not going to be here or they could, again, watch film and say, oh, wow, I really like this guy on the roster and he's third on the depth chart. And I can't understand why they were utilizing him this way. So that's one of the other interesting things to come out of this. So 
let's talk about, I mean, it's obvious, so painfully, painfully obvious that things didn't work out this season. The season went horribly wrong. Again, we talked about them, you know, really just heading into a, a blatant tailspin after the Memphis game. And even in that game, they fell behind 17, nothing slow starts were obviously a thing getting outscored by such a wide margin, 98 to seven in the first quarter. Where did, where did things go wrong here? Uh, he went eight and four in his first regular season. I wrote in my story, things look promising. He won for three out of his first four games. You know, they, they beat Maryland, uh, which was ranked 21st at the time. It looked like a very player led team, you know, guys like Sean Bradley, Chappelle Russell, Amir Tyler were singing his praises and saying, this is they've, they've wrapped their arms around us. There's been a good transition here. Uh, they get handled by North Carolina in the military bowl, 55 to 13, we know that last season was what it was, one and six, injuries, COVID, the whole thing was a mess. But where do you guys things where do you guys think things went unhinged here? Why did this not work out? I I can take this first, just kind of generally speaking. I don't know if there was a specific date. Uh, I think that's the thing that I kind of walk away with the most. Like, I don't really know where and when it might have exactly happened. <clears throat> it may have been kind of like a slow burning grow over whether it was last year or the start of this year. But it, my, my question would be, at what point did Rod lose a majority of the locker room? At what point did a lot of these guys kind of lose the buy-in they had to, you know, Rod Carey's success in that first season, in his first season in 2019? At what point did the excuses of COVID kind of start to dissipate? At what point did, at what point did things kind of not show any, uh, show much growth? And I mean, you hear th- kind of the kind of thing of like, players start to start to lose faith in kind of the way he goes about his business or lose faith in him just as a head coach. I mean, whether it's the fact that they're not hitting as much in practice or, um, or I don't know, just, just like him as a head coach and the way he goes about his business and style and this starts to lose faith. I think that's, that's like, my question is kind of like, was that a, did something specific happen or was that something that grew over time? Dante, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with Sam, right? It is kind of like, you know, is there like one origin point, right? Was there like one decision that Rod Carey made that kind of uh, separated him from the players or was it just kind of a slow burn? Honestly, I think, and John and I, we talked about this, you know, off um, off the podcast is like, you know, when you lose a lot of games, everything comes out in the watch, right? Like it, it's just kind of, you see that even in NFL teams, when NFL teams lose, they can have really good head coaches. And all of a sudden you start to hear grumblings about guys being unhappy and culture problems. And Temple's lost a lot of football games in the past two seasons. You know, we can talk about COVID not being an excuse, being an excuse, whatever it was, they won four games in two years. Uh, and eventually that's going to take a toll on guys. And it's not even like, you know, I wrote this a lot in the IAs and I wrote this a lot in the previews. It's not like they were losing close football games. You know, this was a team that just looked consistently unprepared to play football uh, on Saturdays and they were getting blown out by the likes of ECU and Tulsa and, you know, just average teams from the American. This wasn't like they were getting blown out by the, you know, Ohio States, Michigan's, you know, Alabama's of the world, right? Like this was a team that was getting their teeth beat in every week. Uh, The only wins that they pulled out this year were against, you know, two of the worst teams you could possibly schedule Akron from the FBS Wagner from the FCS. And then they had a nice come from behind victory against Memphis on homecoming day. But again, so I don't know where it went wrong. Um, You know, again, a lot of my focus as John said is like on the field stuff. Like I I just don't think they didn't have the players. The execution wasn't there. They didn't look like a well-coached team a lot, especially on offense. Um, 
but I don't know. I, I think I agree with Sam. I think it was just kind of a slow burn. They kept losing games and got us to where we are now. The other thing I just add is uh, in terms of kind of where things went wrong, like how good is the communication level between players and staff? I mean, we, we had the conversation of like what Dewan Mathis said and how warranted it was that he didn't have the luxury of whatever, but the communication level in terms of like game planning across the board, the communication level between Kerry and his staff and kind of like the bottom level of guys that are either hurt or not playing or like, what, like how much of that, like how, how torn have, have those relationships been over the last year and a half, two years, kind of like where things went wrong in terms of like how well do Rod and his staff uh, continue those relationships when guys aren't necessarily um, getting those reps, getting those whatever. Uh, and and how much is there a communication when things aren't going right? Dante said, you know, they got beat up for seven straight games to end the season. They finished three and nine and got absolutely destroyed in seven straight games. What's the communication level like when things aren't going right? And how do you fix that? Uh, how much say do players have across the board? Not just like the Dewan, like the Dewan Mathis thing was kind of a blip of, you know, whatever. He doesn't have the luxury, but we've talked about that's kind of like a normal thing. What about the rest of the team when things aren't going right? What's that communication level like between player and staff to make adjustments, whether in game or, you know, during the week? I think what, what really, you know, some of the the impressions that I would get, if you, if you look at that first season, I think Rod Carey very smartly looked at things and said, Hey, you guys have been through a lot. You've been through a lot of change. We're going to wrap our arms around you. We're not getting rid of the single digit tradition. You know, I know fans are up in arms about the fact that they really didn't pick any additional single digit guys, whether they just thought that they, they weren't any worthy is another thing for another time. But you know, in that first season, you have strong, strong voices in that locker room, Sean Bradley in the NFL, Chappelle Russell in the NFL, Sam Franklin in the NFL, and they were wise to kind of let those guys steer things. And they still had a lot of talent left. And again, they had a, a pretty good regular season. And there was the, you know, I mean, they, they, they got handed to them by UCF that year. Uh, there were the, you know, you started to see some of the early special teams mishaps and the, in the Cincinnati loss, but overall pretty strong eight and four season. But then I think what, what really happened, you know, from talking to different people is, you know, Rod had set up that, that leadership council. And I, I can't remember the exact quote. I'd have to go back and get the audio for you guys. But yeah, you know, I talked to Amir Tyler over the summer when, when Dion Dawkins came to campus uh, to do his thing back in June, uh, where he handed out food uh, for people in, in the, in the surrounding community over at 10th and diamond and I asked him about being in that leadership council. And he said, obviously, he said, he said, honestly, I think there were, I'm paraphrasing here. He said, I think there would be more issues if we didn't have this set up. But, you know, what I would continue to hear, and I'm sure you guys hear it a lot being around campus, is that maybe Rod didn't wrap his arms around these guys enough and, and kind of, you know, let things get funneled up through this leadership council. And he's not the only coach in America that does things that way. But I think we can agree that the temple's just a, a different place. It just doesn't really really work that way at Temple. You talk to Matt Rule, you talk to Al Golden, you talk to anybody who's had success, the head coaches, the assistants, and you really want to embrace that that identity. You know, Deion Dawkins has talked about it. Tyler Matikavich has talked about the Temple tough thing is a is a thing. And players want to be involved. Players want to have, want to be coached. They want to know that their coach is going to wrap their arms around them. And it just seemed to me from the outside looking in, again, nobody truly knows what's going on inside those four walls and the facilities other than the, than the players and the coaches. But it just seemed like, you know, I talked to someone last week and they said, 
I'm not sure that Rod ever really truly, truly cared to engage with these guys, whether that's fair or unfair is, I don't know, but the results are on the field. And again, I, I, I think we can say fairly that Rod Carey dealt with stuff that previous temple coaches never had to deal with, you know, COVID the transfer portal. Um, you know, I think that there are some guys that left, they will never speak on the record about that left because they felt like things were headed in the wrong direction. And some guys who thought, Hey, if I have a chance to, to play up a level, so to speak, I'll do it. But I think obviously things went haywire last year, but you kept hearing, not sure how much of a handle he has on this locker room. And, and from, from our perspective, and we've talked about this before, I know fans want us to just throw hot takes out there when they started losing guys to the portal, we can't, I'm going to sound self-righteous here and I don't want to, but in our roles, we have to be settled. We have to say, okay, what happened here? What can we report? What can we not report? What can we react to? And when they started losing guys to the portal, you look around and say, how much is it happening at other places? So for us, and I don't want to speak for everyone else, but you think, okay, we have to be careful here. We have to be settled. Hmm, that's interesting. Anthony Russo's leaving. Isaiah Graham was leaving. Uh, Arnold Abichetti's leaving. What does this mean? And you can't just be fanish and say, you know, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. But, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, this is interesting. And then things move to the middle of your mind, in the front of your mind. And I, I think really after that first season was really the last time that he truly had a handle on the program. And it seemed to me, again, from the outside looking in, that he was very content and the staff was very content to let the veterans run things. And then they kind of wanted to establish their own culture. And it really just obviously, uh, in painful fashion didn't work out. All right. If you hear noise in the background, the people that came to suck up my leaves are finally here a week late, by the way. But uh, I think if you had to ask me, Kyle, in over the last three years, what, when can you pinpoint like that this went wrong? I think it's that like week stretch where Russo left, Epichetti left, Rod Carey has his signing day um, press conference and says, Chris Banks, is, it's his time. It's, he's the future of the defensive line. Yeah. And like the next day, Chris Banks entered the transfer portal. Yeah, and the optics so, of mean, it just looked bad. The optics of it were terrible. He really just kind of showed that like maybe he's not as plugged into this as he thought he was. I think anybody that kind of gives the argument of like Rod Carey, like, like you've been seeing things for the past couple of weeks when people think that Rod Carey is asleep at the wheel and doesn't know how to coach and it's just okay cashing the check. I don't agree with that. Like I think you could see from the 2019 season, like, they, he doesn't. His staff didn't know how to coach. They were a team that beat two ranked teams. They were a team that dominated an ACC program and a Big Ten program. When they had the talent there, they were able to coach. I think the issue is just so much talent was leaving, and they rolled the dice on so many people, and they hit on some. Like Keyshawn Paul, Cameron Ruiz, you utilized the portal well for that. But you lost so much, they were never really able to get the locker room back at that point. And college athletics, more so than the NFL, is so much about, like, the camaraderie and the, the locker room working and everyone has to be growing in the same direction. And it's been painfully obvious for the last year and a half that people are rowing in 17 different directions here. And yeah, I don't know. I don't think, I think I would uh, kind of repeat what Sam said. We're like, I don't know if I could pinpoint an exact day, but the smoke has been there for a while. And this just kind of feels like a, after a year of holding it off, holding it off, holding it off, they finally discovered like there's a fire. It's not just smoke. So again, here we are at alscoop.com covering another coaching search, which like I said, Kyle and I have, have grown used to it. There's something quite a few. Yeah. I will say, I saw some on our boards already posted this like first mailbag question, who hates covering a coaching search more Kyle and John. I will say, I think emphatically it's John, but I usually hate it. 
don't really hate this one because I, I feel like it's been long enough and like it wasn't two years ago it was three years ago i feel like i feel like i'm rejuvenated i'm ready to go i did say pre pre-podcast though this could not come like a worse timing because i'm like in my real professional life things are about to kick off mm-hmm. but you know what we're gonna do it <laughs> <laughs> so again uh we'll, we'll tell you this throughout the process stay tuned to alscoop.com we are gonna uh, be covering this coaching search. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll talk now about some potential candidates. Again, none, some of this is sourced. Some of it is not, this is what people do. They, they speculate, they throw names out there. That's what we're going to do, uh, to close things out. We'll talk about that. And I also want to ask you guys before we close things out, after we talk about some potential candidates, who you think maybe give me a player or two that you think really could, that you're intrigued about that you think could, could benefit from a new coach and a new staff. But let's, let's talk first about some of the names that we know are going to come up. And again, some of this is source. Some of it is just us, you know, thinking about some names that might make sense. Kyle, I'll, I'll throw this over to you. What, what names jump out at you first and foremost, when you think of potential replacements? Yeah, I think there's a couple uh, trains of thought, right. Or schools of thought. I think if you're looking for, Hey, we just want to try to recapture that genie in a bottle from 2015, 2016. We want somebody from that staff. I think you're looking at, Mike Saravo, who's currently linebackers coach for Carolina Panthers. Elijah Robinson, who's currently the defensive line coach for Texas A&M. Fran Brown, who's right across the river in Jersey, who's their uh, defensive backs coach. I think he might also have an assistant head coach job. I don't know. Title, I don't know. And then maybe Chris Wiesahan. Or do you view it as, hey, Arthur Johnson and Jason Wingard, this is their first, like, most visible hire. Um, Are they going to want to do their own thing, bring in their own guy, bring in somebody they have connection for, if that's the case? Is it Tom Herman? Is it Stan Drayton, the running backs coach at Texas? I think there's a couple different ways you go here. I don't think it has to be somebody from the Matt Rule tree. I know some people are going to dig their heels in on that and say, this needs to be somebody that was there and saw how Matt worked and all that. I think it can be somebody outside. I just don't think it can be a retread. That's why, I mean, if you're asking me if I have concerns with any of the names I just named, I would have concerns with Tom, with Tom Herman. He's a guy that came from Houston, which is a pretty well-oiled machine. Went to Texas, which is a pretty well-oiled machine, despite the fact that it's not working too well right now. Temple's not that. Like, you work at Temple. Like, you have to work at Temple. Like, that's, that's what it is. I'm not saying the ride carry didn't work or anything like that, but, like, it's not the type of thing where you can just show up, punch your card, turn the keys, and expect the engine to turn over. Like, you need to be actively involved in so many facets of being the head coach at Temple that I think you need a young guy a coordinator, somebody that's looking to cut their teeth, looking to make their name, looking to set up their family for a while is willing to work those long, long, long hours. So I would tend to think it needs to be an assistant or a coordinator. I have a coaching search question for you guys. And this is a legitimate mm-hmm. question because I don't know. And John and Kyle, obviously you guys have covered more coaching searches at Temple and been around this longer than Dante and I have. Um, it, We're old. It's, yes, correct. Uh, makes sense that Arthur Johnson, coupled with Rod's lack of success and a new AD, it makes sense that he would want a new uh, football head coach, whatever. What's the line between Arthur Johnson wanting a Matt Rule guy because that's like Temple's peak, that was like good Temple football, versus Arthur being like, my experience at Texas, I know this person, I've talked to this person. Like, Where do you draw the line between his – take me into Arthur's mind for a minute. Well, again, I'd be lying if I said I knew Arthur Johnson really well because I don't. I interviewed him. I was one of the re- several reporters interviewing him the, the day that his his hiring was announced. Um, spoke to him briefly a couple a couple of weeks ago when, when I was up in New York for work for you know the fundraiser we did for the Claire Smith Sports Media Center that I'm part of. But 
we didn't talk shop, you know, and, and it was a, a room full crowd of people and, and, uh, you know, didn't, didn't talk to him about that. Um, I've talked to a couple of people who know him who, who tell me he's very careful, very measured, very thorough, very respectful and how he goes about his business. But Sam, I think you hit on literally the, the key question in this whole thing is how much, you know, this is Arthur Johnson's been waiting a long time to become an athletic director. He finally got this opportunity. It's a big deal for him and his family. Uh, and it could be a, a big deal, obviously, for Temple if he, if he, you know, you know, gets things going in the right direction here. So will he, you know, has he talked to a lot of people already? I'm sure he's been giving this a lot of thought ever since he got to Temple. Th- these, these guys want to win. Jason Wingard, Temple's new president, wants to win. He's a former Division I football player at Stanford. Arthur Johnson wants to win. They don't like what's been going on. So, yes, does he does he think about this and say, hey, um, how much am I going to be influenced by the people who are saying, hey, you need to go get one of Matt's guys. They've seen this thing work at its highest level. Uh, you know, Mike Saravo was here when college football game day was here when Temple almost beat Notre Dame when when the when the city of Philadelphia and the Delaware Valley was focused on Temple football. They beat Penn State. Or do you kind of block all that out and say, this is my time? Uh, I think the other thing that'll be interesting to, to see is what will the hiring committee look like this time around? Will it be a bunch of board of trustees members or will it be a more of a, a smaller group th- this time around? We we don't know that yet, but I think that's the interesting thing, Sam. What will Arthur Johnson say? You know what? I'm going to weigh all this carefully. Maybe it doesn't have to be a, a, a temple guy, but that's going to be the most the, the most telling thing. And we'll we'll know once that once that hiring is announced. Will Will Arthur say, with all due respect to you know to the, the temple coaching tree, the Al Golden tree, the Matt uh, the Matt Rule tree, and Al Golden's a guy that that could be a candidate too. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, I, I think if if Arthur does want to go with somebody that he's familiar with, that he thinks would be a, a fit at Temple, you know, Kyle mentioned Tom Herman uh, and he mentioned Stan Drayton. I, I think, again, this is this is speculation on my part. I, I think Stan Drayton's a guy to to keep an eye on. He's he's the associate head coach and running backs coach and run game coordinator at Texas. Um, you know, a guy that, again, I am, I am, you asked me to kind of try to jump into Arthur Johnson's mind here. I have not talked to him about this. I want to make that abundantly clear, but you know, he's a guy who's, who's 50 years old, has been waiting a long time for a head coaching job. So I don't know if Arthur Johnson's like, you know what, a guy like Stan, maybe he just needs an opportunity like I did. I mean, if they, if they do eventually hire a guy like Drayton, again, this is just speculation. You could reach way, way back and say, well, he's got some experience in coaching in, in, in Philly. He was, he was Penn's running backs coach back in 1995. Again, this is a long time ago. Then he was Villanova. I think he literally coached Mike Elko. That's how long ago it yeah. was. Coached, uh, coached Villanova's running backs from 1996 to 1999. So he coached at the FCS level in Philly. That was a long time ago. But as he moves along in his career, he moves on to some, some bigger jobs. He spent two seasons in the NFL as a quality control guy with the Packers. He was at Mississippi State. Florida as the running backs coach at Tennessee, at Syracuse, at Florida. Then he gets to Ohio State, and now you start working with some big names. Um, you know, he's working with Carlos Hyde. He's working with Zeke Elliott. Um, you know, he's working with, you know, the Bears. Um, I'm sorry, working with, uh, yeah, we're working with the Bears at some point. So he works with a guy like Matt Forte there. Um, Matt Forte played at um, – at, uh, at Tulane. At Tulane with right. who? With Preston Brown. With Preston Brown. It all comes yeah. full circle. <laughs> yes. So, 
there's a name almost that Elijah I would, Robinson. Yes, and so there's there's a name that 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 I would keep an eye on there. But stay, like again, Sam, I think you hit on the key question: is like which direction is he going to go in with this? How much you know does does Jason Wingard say? Arthur, this is your hire. You know, we're we're here to support you. You know, and a hiring committee typically has some academic people involved and stuff like that. But um, that I think is going to be the interesting thing to follow. How much of a say will Arthur Johnson have in this? What are the dynamics like of a new search committee? But Stan Drayton is a name that pops out to me even a little bit more than Tom Herman. If I'm thinking, uh, if we're trying to get into the mind of, of Arthur Johnson, I think that's a name to keep an eye on. Again, I have not talked to Stan Drayton. I don't know for sure if he's going to be a candidate. I'll be mildly surprised if he doesn't get an interview. Uh, Saravo is a name that, that really, really makes sense. I like Mike a lot. I think he'd be a home run hire. He's certainly not the only candidate, but I, I don't know. I, I, Dante, again, you've covered this program. Um, well, Kyle, I'll, I'll flip this over to you. Kyle, Kyle, Kyle wants just to just in here. Just, yeah. saw him, just saw him waving his If we take away the last seven minutes to when Sam asked the question, um, <laughs> with the teetering of the line, I think what's interesting is if you're a candidate that has Temple connections, that doesn't mean that Arthur Johnson knows who you are, right? Right. Like he was at Texas during this time. He was at, he's been at UNC. Uh, I think if you're a Fran Brown or if you're Mike Sarabo, if you're Chris Wiesahan, this is where agents kind of make their money because they need to get you on Arthur Johnson's radar. I think it's going to be very telling whether or not Temple hires a coaching uh, search firm for this. Yeah. Pat Kraft used search firms. He used turnkey. He, he would always kind of do this when this uh, came open. If this, if it comes out that they're not using a search firm, that it's just Arthur Johnson making that decision, that's going to make it even harder, I think, for some of these Matt Rule uh, protégés. I think that kind of lends it more towards like he's, he's going to go with the guy he knows. Yeah, very good point. I, Dante, you, you know, again, you're, this is your first big, you know, coaching search that you're covering, but I mean, as someone who does cover the team, what do you think that, what do you think the new guy needs, whether it's a, a, a Matt rule guy or someone outside of the Matt rule or temple coaching tree. And let's, let's say you, you know, Arthur Johnson comes to you and says, Dante, I've been reading your work at Al scoop. I'm trying to gain some opinions here, some perspective. What, like, wait a minute. Do you subscribe? Yes. <laughs> Are you a subscriber, Arthur? We're running a great deal. <laughs> what do you think the next head coach, what qualities do you think he needs to have to succeed here? Yeah, right. Um, I think that, and here's a funny, here's a funny story. My first ever Temple football story was actually <clears throat> when Rod Carey was hired. That was the first Temple football story I ever wrote was at that press conference. So, um, Coming full circle for me, I think the most important thing is going to be player development here. Uh, I think that obviously recruiting is a huge part of college football. Any coach who tells you that recruiting isn't important should not be a head coach. But uh, when you're a temple, there you go. Um, Yeah, who a lot of Temple fans want. I've gotten two replies that they should bring Dan Mullen home. I don't think that's a good idea. But anyway, um, I think it's got to be player development. I think you have to kind of rationalize with yourself here at temple that you are not going to be getting the top of the line recruits. You're going to have to find diamonds in the rough. You're going to have to turn two star, three star players into very good quality starting college football players. And that is player development. And I think that's one of the gaps that we saw in Rod Carey's uh, coaching ability. I don't think that he properly developed some of the players that were inherently on the roster. He didn't get a lot of them to buy in. They all transferred out. I think he did an okay job with some of the younger guys that he brought in recently, 
but I think that player development is going to be huge here, right? You're going to have to turn these three two-star guys into competitive football players to compete against better, better teams. I, I think that's, what's going to be huge here. So that's what I would look at. I would look at a guy who's taken a lot of good rooms and, you know, as an assistant, right. So you talk about Texas running back coach, who are some of the running backs that have come through there in recent years, they have B John Robinson there now probably going to be a first round running back. I, I think you look at some guys like that guys who have coached players that they have developed into, you know, really good talent. That's what I would be looking for. Obviously I think it would be beneficial to hire somebody who has coached here before only because I think that this is a unique recruiting place uh, based on what I've seen. Right. And I think it would be incredibly beneficial. I agree with Kyle. I don't think you need that, but I think it would be very, very helpful to have that because I just think that, Somebody who's been here, somebody who's seen the success that Matt Rule had here, I, I think will be, I, it, it's obvious to say, it's not saying anything groundbreaking. I think it'll be easier for them to recreate that success because they understand the uniqueness of this place and what recruiting at Temple is like. Um, so I think that that would be beneficial. But I would target somebody who really has a focus on player development because I think you have to turn players who have a couple of traits and you really have to extenuate those traits to kind of get them to work in your system. And I think that's what Matt rule did a really, really good job of when he was here. And I think you saw that maybe a little bit with Jeff Collins. And I think that kind of trailed off with Rod Carey a little bit. Kind of, I mean, I, I, let me, sorry, I don't disagree that that's necessary because Temple's always going to be a program that's built on getting two, three stars and building them up. There's a reason that like, Jaden Blue got a thousand yards after quitting football. There's a reason that Arnold Abiketti is probably a first or second round pick now. I think those are guys that like the staff did develop. The problem is they didn't develop that relationship enough that when those guys had the opportunity to leave, they felt any like hesitancy to leave. I think, I think it needs just to be a combination of both where like emotional intelligence is such a huge part of, of coaching 18 to 22 year olds. that I think that needs to be kind of be held in check as well. But like, I, I don't, yeah, I just don't know if I fully agree that uh, the Rockefeller staff didn't develop anybody because, yeah, Arnold Abbey is about to make a lot of money at the senior bowl because of what Walter Stewart and everybody taught him. Just a real quick note to jump in here. I was just told that, that Arthur Johnson will be speaking to reporters later on this afternoon, likely in the 3 to 5 p.m. range. So stay tuned for more coverage there. Uh, one of us will have the opportunity, along with some other reporters, to talk to Temple's uh, new athletic director, about this change and uh, what they're looking for moving forward. But before we flip it over to the, uh, the conversation of what player you think would be, you know, would benefit most or a couple of players that would benefit most. I could tell you that, you know, if you're asking me who would be interested of that group, I think Al Golden, this is just, I'm basing this off of just sourcing and people I've talked to. I, I do think that Al Golden would have interest. You know, his name was rumored for the UConn job. Never, you know, he was never, I, I was told a serious candidate there. Um, I think there were a few jobs that Temple that, that that Al would come back for. I think Temple will be one of them. That would certainly be an intriguing conversation. Again, we'll be talking about this a lot until the new head coach is hired, whether that's a, a week week from now, week and a half from now. We'll see. Does Al Golden think like, hey, I can come back and, and recreate the the magic a la Greg Schiano at Rutgers? I think Al Golden would have interest. I think Mike Saravo would have interest. I was told, uh, you know, for anybody who's who's looking at Saravo and saying, okay, yeah, he was part of Matt's staff. He's part of Matt's staff now with the Panthers. He was part of Matt's staff at Baylor and at Temple. Uh, he's he's been a recruiting coordinator. Mike brings some interesting perspective in that he was he really helped Al Golden put together that first critically important class in 2006 when Temple was really trying to recruit against 
UMass, Villanova, and recruit and winning those battles. He was a guy that helped put together that first class that really helped you with guys like Andre Nemblet, uh, John Palumbo, Steve Maneri, guys like that that really helped with the heavy lift. Uh, and then he went to Boston College after that. He's never been a defensive coordinator, but uh, I was told that that Mike Sravo did turn down a seven-figure salary and the opportunity to become the defensive coordinator at Texas Tech. So there's at least one program out there that thinks he was worthy of being a defensive coordinator. I think Mike Sravo would have interest. I think that Chris Weezan would have interest. I think that Fran Brown would have interest. I think that that Elijah Robinson would have interest. So there are going to be guys that are going to be interested in this job and certainly people outside the Temple coaching tree, uh, so to speak. And again, stay tuned to the site. We'll have more coverage of that with some potential names and lists and candidates and all that sort of fun stuff. But I want to toss this around the horn here to, to, uh, to close things out. Um, I'll go to each one of you. Maybe give me a, a name of a player or two that you think could really benefit from a new coach and a new staff. I know Dwan Mathis is obvious, maybe one of the obvious ones, but Kyle, I'll start with you and then go to Dante and Sam. Is there a guy on the roster that you've watched and thought, yeah, maybe this guy didn't get a fair shake, or maybe he's just a, a guy that really just needs to be coached up differently? I was going to say Dwan Mathis. Oh, go ahead. Because I think that was pretty obvious when you have a quarterback that's uh trading card is their mobility and their downfield uh, throwing ability in theory. And you never let them run or throw downfield. Um, I think there's, there's concern there. And I think Dwan Mathis will be interesting because I mean, he's taking, he never actually entered the portal, right? We heard he was going to side, not to rod in some real quick. If you listen back to Rod Carey's uh, post Navy press conference, like I did last night, yikes. Like, I think that's a guy that knew that, uh, his days were dwindling. I mean, obviously the stuff didn't completely come out of left field. I think he probably knew that, that the writing was on the wall. Um, but he said, he's like, I, I got to talk to Dwan and we'll go from there. If Dwan Mathis decides to stay at Temple, which I would assume he does, um, then I think he would be one of the people that benefits the most from a coaching change, which is huge because if he didn't come back, you would just have a bunch of redshirt freshmen or true sophomores like Justin Lynch who have not shown the ability to run an offense yet. Uh, and you would probably be looking at a JUCO guy coming in. So I'll just say Dewan Mathis and take the easy out. Dante, what do you think? Yeah, you stole my answer. I was going to say Dewan Mathis too. Um, I, I would say I'd go to the wide receivers. I, I think that uh, with improved quarterback play comes improved wide receiver play, right? So if Dewan Mathis benefits from a coaching change, so do the receivers just kind of by like the transitive property of football. Uh, I, I think that those guys have talent, right? Like I think Jordan Smith can, can make some plays for you. I think that you can get more out of him than what the staff got out of him this year. Uh, I think Jose Barbone looks like, you know, he's a guy who might be able to, you know, to be like a, a solid wide receiver too for you. Um, you just, you know, and, and they tried to get, you know, let's say Jaden blue comes back. Like he could be a guy that I think, you know, you get a little bit more out of than what they were getting out of him this year, obviously. So I think the receivers, you know, stand to benefit from this as well, right? Can you open up this offense in general? You know, even when I, you know, the second Anthony Russo left, it just felt like things were not clicking offensively. I know last year's quarterback room was just kind of, you know, all over the place and different things with injuries and COVID and blah, blah, blah. And they haven't really had stability the past two years there. But, you know, I feel like the receivers have kind of gotten the short end of the stick. Uh, and obviously, if a, if a new head coach can come in and, and really empower Dwan Mathis and get the most out of Dwan Mathis, you're also going to get the most out of these receivers as well. So, I don't, I don't know if this is going to be like, I don't think this is a really obscure answer. Um, but I think MJ Griffin, MJ Griffin was one of the team's leading tacklers. Obviously he said he's going to enter the portal, but who knows 
whether he comes back or not, who knows how the news of Rod Carey getting fired impacts that. Um, but he was one of the team's leading tacklers. And Amir Tyler said in his last press conference after the loss to Navy that MJ Griffin was one of the guys who was going to step into that leader leadership position role. He could be a guy that could tend for a single digit. I don't know if this is a great comparison, but like, I think of the, like the Arnold Abiquetti situation where like he was really, really great. And then he bounced and then he got even better. MJ Griffin showed he could be like a really important pivotal piece of Temple's defense moving forward. He had a, re- he had a really good season this year in the event that he does come back. I think that's an important guy that maybe with a new coaching staff could forge, whether it's forge a better relationship or continue his development uh, at Temple and then continue to, to grow off his performance this year. Real quick, I think this is an interesting point with that. I completely agree that like if MJ Griffin comes back, he's pretty much like a younger Amir Tyler in a sense, whether like a similar type of player and he kind of slides into that role. I think this is one, like a good opportunity to kind of caution people not necessarily get married to players. Um, not because MJ Griffin or anything like that, but because look, Temple ran a 3-3-5 this entire year, right? And they have the ability to start three safeties. There, We have no idea if that's going to continue. For all we know, the new staff comes in and says, nope, we're just running a traditional 4-3. We have, the, we have the field safety and the strong safety. And all of a sudden, you're down to three starting safeties on this Temple team. One of you ain't starting anymore. So like Jalen Ware, Alex Odom, and MJ Griffin are all, in theory, could all come back. And there might not be playing time for all of them. So I think just like we're kind of just I get why we're doing it because it's conversation, but we're just all kind of guessing because we have no idea what the new formations look like, what the new schemes look like, what the new for all we know, it's going to be the defensive coordinator. Who cares? And they're going to come in. They're going to say, I know this guy from my university would be a great fit here. I'm going to bring him in. Yeah, I'm going to look at I'm going to look at the offensive line. Uh, And this might sound like an obvious thing to say, but when you look at some of the best Temple teams, they had great, great stability at center. A guy like John Palumbo helped them get through the Al Golden years. Again, none of these guys were super highly recruited. John Palumbo out of Queen of Peace High School up in, in New York. Um, certainly Kyle Friend had a great career at Temple. Tried to you know get into the NFL eventually and tr- transitioned over a fullback. That never took off for him. But um, you know, a good, good player from Central PA. Obviously, look at what at what Matt Hennessy did. Um, and the success he's having in the NFL right now is a third round pick of the, the Atlanta Falcons. So I think that any, whether it's, whether it's Bryce Tolman, whether it's wisdom Corshi, who's seen some time, I don't know if like they'll, you know, if, if a guy like Adam Klein sticks around, whoever that new center is, anybody who's vying for that center position could really obviously benefit from a new strength and conditioning staff, uh, a new, a new head coach, a new offensive line coach, uh, you know, because again, like they just, as we know, and I'm not breaking any news here, they just did not move people at all. They didn't protect. Um, we, we look at the run game and how bad it was. Was that on Ed Sadie? Was that on, you know, any of the guys that were trying to carry the football there? Or was it a, a lack of talent and ability and vision on their end? Or was it really just that this offensive line wasn't moving people? But that next center, they need somebody there. Again, whether that's Bryce Tolman whether that's did they does the does the new staff slide Porsche over there? Is it Klein? Is it is it a, a JUCO player or somebody like that? Whoever that next center is has the chance to really help lead this program in, in the in the next direction because they they just you know again anybody could say yeah John any any good offensive line needs a good center but that that next guy whoever it is I think could really benefit from uh, from a new staff. So um, any closing thoughts here as we embark on coaching search seventeen point uh, I think the timing will be very interesting. If this happens in the next like week, then you know, like this probably was brewing for a while. 
Um, if this takes like, okay, December 10th, December 12th, we're going to get somebody in with three days before early signing period. Uh, it's probably something that maybe Rod Carey really was coaching for his job. Maybe if he had beaten Davey, he still had the chance. Or maybe if he had the opportunity to kind of galvanize the team and show progress that there was the chance, but he didn't, they didn't. And here we are. Um, I don't, I've kind of, I kind of contradicted myself because I think a week ago I talked about how important the December 15th early signing day period is. I think it's kind of screwed regardless. Um, and you're talking about like 16 days until then, 17 days, whatever it might be. I think unless you hire somebody that's a coordinator or an assistant somewhere else right now and just has like six, seven guys like, hey, I can get these guys to commit at any moment. It's probably not as important as you would think. Because um, also because right now Temple doesn't have that many scholarships. Like I think they have 12 scholarships for this recruiting cycle. There's going to be more than that because people are going to transfer out um, or get processed out, however you might want to call it. Uh, but I think we're probably looking more at like, just get the right guy in there, let him put together a staff and then really kind of focus on the spring signing date as probably Temple's recruiting goal. Yeah. And again, just to review real quick before we close things out. So Temple currently has seven players from the 2022 class verbally committed. Uh, it's Corey Yeoman at linebacker, Jackson Pruitt, an offensive lineman from Detroit, uh, Khalif Kemp, uh, Makai Green, who I believe Makai Green was their first. No, no, sorry, Reese Clark from St. Joe's Prep was their first verbal. Um, Sam Martin, the running back from Staten Island, and then the most recent, uh, Sincere Jackson, uh, Juco. So, again, seven verbals in the fold there. It'll be interesting to see, you know, regardless, had Rod Carey been successful and stuck around, probably would have seen a, a class of some high school players and, and some guys from the portal and leaving spots for the portal. But as Kyle said, the next staff coming in we'll have some work to do we'll probably be adding some pieces between uh december and february that'll be another part of this that we'll be covering uh very closely so thanks for tuning in for our emergency monday morning podcast and uh, obviously we'll have a ton more for you in the coming days and weeks as temple searches for its next head coach so big thanks to listening big thanks to kyle and dante and sam for joining me this morning and we'll talk to you soon